Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I'm your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and this episode is all about telehealth and what kind of medical advice you can get by getting a telehealth consultation with top specialists in the world. In 2017, Mayo Clinic published a study about second opinions. 21% of almost 300 patients included in the study got a completely different diagnosis after a second opinion. In 12% of the cases, the diagnosis was confirmed. And in the remaining 67% of cases, the diagnosis was further defined. No matter how much you value your doctor, in some cases, a second opinion can be beneficial. Second opinions can be helpful not just about your diagnosis, but also about deciding about your treatment options or when looking for an additional explanation about your condition. In this episode, you will hear a discussion with Julian Flannery, the CEO of Sumus Global. Sumos Global provides access to specialists and physicians from across the world. The company has a network of over 4,000 specialists and physicians from 48 hospitals and dozens of fields, from oncology to cardiology, psychology and pediatrics. Their customers come from the US, China, Canada, Philippines, Spain, England, United Arab Emirates, Hong Kong, Luxembourg, Turkey, and Ireland. The CEO, Julian Flannery, and I talked about how the platform works, how do customers differ based on the country of their residence, and more. Enjoy the discussion, and to browse through other episodes as well, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. And if you haven't yet, do subscribe to the show to be notified about new episodes automatically. Coming up next are a discussion about the latest development in blockchain in healthcare and an introduction to the digital health landscape in New Zealand. Now let's go to Global Telehealth with Julian Flannery. Julian, healthcare is on everybody's mind this year. How is Sumus Health doing? Uh, so Sumus, Sumus Global, and and you know we are we're a leading virtual specialist platform. Uh, what we do is attract leading doctors across U.S. healthcare system, increasingly internationally, to engage with our members around the world, really across any health question that requires specialist expertise. So I think uh, to answer your question directly, and you know, given that healthcare is uh, on everybody's mind, given that uh, the majority of the population is engaging virtually these days, especially in healthcare. I mean, you've seen virtual visits going up, you know, two, three, four thousand uh, percent inside of hospital systems. 
You've seen consumers go from, you know, adopting telehealth at, in, at least in the U.S. at about 11%. That's increased to about 71% in terms of their willingness and interest in engaging via telehealth in, in the future. And then on the doctor side, you had sort of, let's call it modest adoption. And I think what COVID has done is just massively accelerated doctors' willingness to engage with their patients and new individuals, potential patients via virtual mediums. And, you know, by all sort of data, it looks that, you know, they they both enjoy the experience, they think it's very efficient, and it'll be a bigger part of their workflow on a, on a go-forward basis. So, you know, I think we're, we as a company are, are positioned quite well to to help really everybody in the healthcare ecosystem sort of engage in, in, in creative ways around healthcare issues. So we feel pretty good about our, our ability to be impactful, uh, especially in light of a pandemic and, and just generally uh, for the long term. In our introductory discussion, you mentioned that you're not offering telemedicine, but telehealth solutions. So more like an advice, the doctors can't really write prescriptions for the patients or the people seeking advice through Sumus Health. So can we start there? How do you, according to your definition, differentiate between telehealth and telemedicine? Telemedicine, by definition, is practicing medicine over a virtual medium. And what that means is that doctors are either diagnosing or treating, i.e. writing prescriptions or giving somebody a concrete kind of treatment uh, path for whatever they whatever they have. And it, telemedicine is, is mostly primary care, right? So it's sore throats, checkups, kind of minor, minor issues, if you will. And the way the regulations are structured in the U.S. and, and, and abroad as well in different countries it requires, if you're a patient in a certain state, they require you to practice telemedicine with somebody or they require the doctor to be licensed in that same state for him or her to, to uh, practice telemedicine. So the concept of telehealth is much broader, right? It basically means connecting parties virtually around, you know, could be ongoing chronic issues, could be a new person who's trying to understand what they need to do in healthcare. And, and it really is you know, depending on the legal structure. Uh, so for example, if I've seen a doctor in person and I'm engaging with them via, via virtual medium, uh, I'm still their patient, right? Because they've seen me in person. But if you've never seen somebody in person, oftentimes when you engage in, in telehealth, you need to do two things. Uh, one, it needs to not be the practice of medicine. So it's really about advice and guidance and helping people understand what diagnosis means or what a condition might mean understand what treatment options are out there, what surgery means and, and whatnot. Or what you can do is you can actually include a treating doctor. So back to this concept of a patient-physician relationship, you can include a treating doctor of a patient to eliminate uh, that legal restriction because you have two doctors consulting across state lines or country lines, uh, and you trigger what's called the um, consultation exception, which means that the doctors effectively are both, you know, trained in medicine and can really, you know, discuss meaningfully a treatment path or a diagnosis and, and whatnot. So it's not a clear, bright line, but, you know, platforms like ours, uh, we, we are not in the business of practicing medicine, especially in the specialty care market. You know, no, no specialist is going to get on a virtual medium and, and consult with somebody and, and diagnose them with stage, stage two pancreatic cancer, right? It's just not the way it works. So, you know, we're, we're both our operations, our technology and our legal structure is really set up uh, either to trigger that physician to physician relationship or to not practice medicine. And, and the interaction is solely in the in the realm of helping people understand 
their options, what it means, and, and really to make good decisions inside of healthcare. You work globally, so there's 4,000 uh, doctors um, or even more on your platform, and you have customers from the US, China, Canada, Philippines, Spain, England, and I could go on. And I wonder if I'm a patient from Europe and I talk to a doctor in the US, how can the doctor actually know? What kind of treatment options I have here, you know, because different countries do have different uh, access to medicines, surgeries, technologies. There, there's another factor which which you didn't mention is is regulatory elements, right? So whether it's the FDA here in the U.S. or there might be certain drugs or certain treatments that are approved in different countries that aren't approved in in the U.S., right? So if you think about our model. United States, in, in many ways, is one of the centers of excellence around the world in terms of uh, medicine, right? There, there are others, obviously. But what we offer is when you think about the international community, you know, whether or not they're getting a, a treatment locally or whether they've gotten a serious diagnosis locally, uh, you know, it, it sometimes it's a good thing for them to get on a platform and consult with a really high quality specialist in, in the United States simply because they, you know, they might have a different perspective on treatment or they have a, might a different perspective on clinical trials. So really what you're doing for the healthcare consumer is you're expanding their ability to really dance around the world and, and understand how best to treat their condition, right? So we've, I'll give you an example. Uh, we had a US-based client, and this will show you the other way, who uh, was sort of in remission on on stomach cancer, and he was a 30, 35-year-old male, and, and he wanted to really understand the treatment path to kind of prevent recurrence and, and whatnot. And, you know, he, he lives in New York, and, and we, we sort of had him consult with, um, you know, four or five doctors across different uh, parts of the United States, right? And then we also had him consult with uh, a couple of German doctors because Germany in many ways is really on the cutting edge of immunotherapy, right? So there are, there are other centers of excellence that are that are might you know be more advanced in the US in certain specialties or certain clinical trials or certain drugs. And so you know there, there's different ways for people to really try to understand how to best treat their their diagnosis. And and you know this in healthcare, at the end of the day, what people want is just the best possible treatment or best possible answers for whatever health condition they're they're dealing with. So I think what Sumas does it it sort of it provides them a platform where they can come to us and we can curate access to a high quality doctor for their condition from anywhere in the world. And that's that's a powerful, uh, powerful value proposition for, for many folks. There's two ways that an individual can come to Sumus. One is uh, if you're working with that individual's employer or if the individual wants to just go to you privately. So in that regard, uh, based on where the person's from, how much is he or she going to have to pay for your services? It really depends on the on the local system. In the U.S., uh, we work with a lot of U.S. companies who have international employee bases. You know, so they're expats in, in different countries. You know, it really depends on the on the healthcare system and the incentives for the employer. So the pricing structure may be a little bit different in Europe than it is in in the U.S. Right. So in our on our consumer side, we have a 
we have a me- sort of a family membership where you know we have sort of a flat price for for different levels of of access and and around the family and that really doesn't differ internationally uh we we do charge a little bit more per consultation because sometimes collecting records digitizing records inter- internationally can be a, a pain uh just candidly and and so you know we just you know there, there's slight price differentials there but ultimately what we're trying to do is connect people back with with exceptional doctors and and you know obviously put the uh, the patient or the individual family or family first right and that's that's really our mission is to help them make good decisions if for a second i try to look at this uh, from the doctor's perspective i would kind of imagine that you know doctors don't because in in desire for a second opinion without the involvement of his doctor in the first place yeah i mean that you know that happens sometimes because you know the reality is if you have a, a pretty serious diagnosis you probably should consult with more than one doctor right i mean that's that's just the nature of you know whether it's human error or or understanding more in terms of uh, you know different specialties or different different countries. You know, th- there's we don't see a ton of tension at all in, in terms of. So, so I, I think the first piece is a patient or an individual should have the right to engage with a different doctor, and I think that's very widely accepted across the the medical community. Right, like the concept of second opinions or or consulting with another expert so that they can verify what they want to do. I mean, that's, that's just the best practice, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, practicing medicine is about healing the patient and, and getting them to a, to a good outcome, right? So that's one piece. The second piece is if they do involve the treating physician, you know, we see that quite often. And I, I think what you find is a, is a level of professional respect where, you know, the, the, both the consulting doctor or the, or the doctor delivering the opinion is not, and it's not heavy handed. It's just a perspective of here's how I see it. Here's the available treatments and that kind of thing. And, and oftentimes local doctors are, are very keen to understand, um, you know, to, to consult with somebody who spent, you know, 20, 30 years of their life, you know, practicing at the highest levels of medicine in that particular diagnosis, right? And so we, we don't see a ton of kind of territorial strangeness or, or anything like that. I think, uh, I think it's a very professional community, a very academic community where, where people are very focused on, you know, healing the patient and, and making the best decisions for the, for the patient. Here's another question about the benefit doctors might have um, treating or not treating, but advising patients on the platform. And then if a doctor from XYZ country gets in contact with such a doctor, it's kind of like a networking opportunity, you know. So do you see that any collaborations or just uh, connections are formed through the platform, even with the doctors that are not actively on your platform. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a it's a great point. We we certainly see collaboration opportunities where you know sometimes somebody will come to us and and you know they want to consult with somebody and they say, look, can you just talk to my treating doctor? And so we'll facilitate the consultation that way. 
And and you're right. It's a very collegial. Uh, okay, here's what the data shows. Here's what the data tells me. You know, it's not networking, but it is sort of a, a level of connectivity that's powerful for that for that local physician or or even the international physician who's you know who's who's interested in in maybe a, a perspective from a top cancer center and one of the top specialists. You know, th- th- those kind of things are, are are powerful, right? So whether you call it networking or just kind of you know professional kind of courtesy and connectivity across specialties, I, I definitely think that's right. How picky are patients about whom they wish to talk to? Do they have a choice of picking the doctor or do you just give them a specialist appropriate for them that's available in the shortest possible time? We're very curated in how we do this, right? It's not like primary care where you can go to a website and say, okay, you know, here's my zip code. Okay, this person looks pretty good. I'll, I'll go see them. You know, the world of specialty care is is difficult, right? And, and, you know, problems can be complex. And so I think in a lot of ways, even you, if you're really, really bright, if you're not trained in medicine, you actually don't know who to go see, right? You might have a, have a theory on it, like, oh, I need to see an oncologist or I need to see an OB and, you know, for this, you know, this type of thing. But what Sumus does is it kind of takes you through a process. The first process is to connect with our one of our Sumus MDs who's ER trained or internal medicine trained. And oftentimes we see sort of an adjustment of Oh, got it. Okay. So I need to see this type of specialist, right? And then from there, what we'll do is we'll say, okay, so who's best suited to talk to this particular person? And there, you know, there's consumer preferences that we take into account. Like, you know, is there a gender preference? Is there a geography preference? Because this person's looking to kind of come under the care of, of somebody eventually. But at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're looking at data. So we're looking at procedure and treatment volume across the particular condition. We're looking at specialized expertise. We're looking at research, and we're and we're looking at the you know the quality of the training uh, of that particular individual, the reputation of the hospital and the department. So we've sort of built algorithms on top of that that really helps our clinical team very quickly go into our network and see who's available, you know, who's the best fit. And then, and then it's really about urgency. You know, if, if somebody, if a particular doctor is perfect, but they're on vacation with their family, yeah, we can wait a week, right? It's no, no big deal. But if it's a little bit more urgent, maybe you switch to somebody who's available tomorrow and, and it's, it's that kind of thing. We mentioned before that uh, in some cases, medical information and medical data, the electronic record or just the patient record can be included in decision making about that patient. But what if the language is not English, you know, so if you're working in China or Philippines or Spain, how does the information about the patient get to your doctors then? Do you just rely on what the patient tells you or is there another way? Those are the tricky cases. If, you know, uh, we're very protective of our, of our network of doctors because we want to create a very good experience for them. We want it to be efficient for their time. You know, we're not dumping a shoebox of digital records on their on their doorstep. You know, we want to curate those records. You know, we would need them translated. So the, before somebody actually engages with one of our specialists, unless they speak the native language, right? So that's that's another way to do it, right? So, but but in terms of records translation, you know, there are services out there that that do that, and um, you know, that would just be part of a sort of an incremental, you know, sort of step that a that a patient would have to take because it's you know it's really hard to ask, um, let's say, a U.S. based doctor, even if they do speak the language, to to really sort of go in and and study pages of 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 records that aren't in their sort of primary language. 
So, for example, uh, we mentioned that the, the process of getting to a specialist is multi-layered and that uh, there's quite a few requirements because of medical data, etc. So if we try to be a little more plastic in explaining how the process looks like, say I'm a patient coming from Germany, I'm good at English, I'm a chronic patient, so I know what my diagnosis is. Is it enough if I translate my record myself and then when I come to Sumus I will still go through the internal medicine specialist first before reaching the final specialist that I'm looking for. Sometimes we can do consultations without records you know so if um, but again you know it's it's always better if a if a physician has an understanding of medical history, has an understanding of a condition, has an understanding of re, you know sort of recent uh, blood work and and all that kind of stuff, right? That that that's all really really important, you know. But but we do do we call them like informational consultations. If somebody has a certain condition and they it's it's rare to be honest with you because we we again we don't like putting our physicians in our network in a place where they don't have anything to look at. They're just kind of having a conversation with somebody because it, it makes them uncomfortable, right? I mean, they want to see data, they want to see tests. And, you know, the use case of somebody translating their own records, wow, like, if you can do that, like, by all means, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to translate my own records if, you know, from from English, I don't even know half, half of what they mean. So I, I think the better way to do it is really to, to you know, there, there are services out there that are that are capable of translating medical records into different languages, you know, and, and maintaining the kind of, let's call it the clinical integrity of the record, you know, so that the uh, a physician can really read it and understand what's going on. One of my questions was actually just that, how are your doctors on the platform trained for the conversations that they have with the patients? Because one of the qualities that you offer is the fact that consultations are between 30 to 45 minutes long, which is uh, quite a lot more than specialists or doctors usually have. And it reminds me of wise words that I heard today at the Frontiers Health Conference by Hippocrates, and that it's more important to know what sort of a person has a disease than to know what sort of a disease a person has. You know, I think it's it's a couple things. You know, we've designed our business model to attract the best in medicine. So we do that through a combination of a couple things. Deep respect for medicine, our service team, our, our you know, the team that's really interfacing with doctors in terms of scheduling and records is, you know, they're very respectful, very, you know, all that kind of thing. And they know what they're doing. The technology is really easy to use, right? It's very, very simple, very, you know, click in, see all the digital record records organized. You know, it's not just something that's kind of dumped, dumped at them. The platform supports DICOM imaging and all that kind of thing. So, you know, so oftentimes the prep work is actually not that challenging. You know, they're reading a specialist summary. They're looking at a couple images, they're understanding medical history. And then what we do is we we change the marketplace for, for expertise. And, and this is really why our company was born, which is, you know, we think the incentives are wrong for the, the piece of the healthcare continuum, which is educating and learning about a, about a patient, right? 
So, you know, we ask of our physicians to give us a certain amount of time and, and we make sure that the compensation model is, is aligned with, with how they value their time. And the benefits to that on the consumer side are fast access to really high quality doctors from anywhere. Uh, and then quality time with doctors, to your point, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with a complex cancer diagnosis and you're spending, you know, 55 minutes with a, with a leading oncologist at a top cancer institution or cancer center in the U.S., like that is really time well spent and, and a really valuable experience because you, you, you know, you learn a lot and, and you're able to really ask questions. It's a dynamic conversation. You know, it's not like a, a typical appointment where somebody comes in for a few minutes and then the resident comes in. It's, it's, it's just a very different experience that we've Create. We mentioned a lot of uh, positive things for both sides, for the doctors, for the patients. I'm sure not everything is rosy. So what are the challenges that you're facing uh, at the moment? You know, look, I think in what we do, it's it's not as simple as just putting a video between two sides. It's not like doing a, an Uber conference or a Zoom conference. You know, it's it's you know you, you have to curate a process and you have to design technology to kind of make sure that you account for all those little idiosyncrasies of human behavior on both sides, right? And so, so I think those are always the things that we're iterating on. Every case you tend to learn, you're like, oh gosh, we should, you know, we should add that little feature to our to our platform. That'll make it a lot. Like we just upgraded our scheduling tool, right? Because we we saw some flaws in the scheduling tool, and you know, like that, we're we're constantly focused on improving the the experience for for both sides. You know that, you know, I think we do a reasonably good job of that. And you know, I, I tell a lot of people about, you know, in virtual primary care, it's it's not. Specialty care is a, is a lot harder because there's just so much more complexity. There's records. There's there's history. There's you know uh, there's caregivers. There's in, sort of involving other people. There's treating doctors. There's legal regs. You know the, it, you just have to be very thoughtful around you know h- how that happens from A to Z through the platform and and through the um, what we call our concierge team. Based on everything that you said. It's very clear that experience is very important to you, the experience of healthcare providers as well as the patients. And you mentioned that you've learned a lot. So I wonder if you could, what are the perhaps two, three things that you figured out and the system solutions could learn from you? So the solutions that are just working in telemedicine and trying to navigate how to improve the doctor-patient relationship in today's increasingly virtual world. This is a really important question, and it's a it's a sort of foundational piece of of what we do at, at Sumis. And so I'll start with with one, which is everybody talks about the consumer experience. We actually think if you improve the provider experience, you'll improve the consumer experience, right? So no nothing against sort of improving the UX and the consumer experience and access and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I come from a family of doctors and, you know, practicing medicine today, especially inside academic hospitals, it is hard and it is challenging. And there's, you know, physician burnout is high, you know, I mean, even pre-COVID, right? It's very high. So, you know, we really have a fundamental view on the market, which is if you improve the provider experience, you will improve the consumer experience. Right. And so that's that's a big learning for us. And then I would say that the second piece is really about quality. 
right? So I, I just wrote a, a, a column in Forbes uh, last week, you know, kind of talking about this concept of quality, right? And the evolution of the virtual care market from kind of Teladoc, you know, and Amwell way back in the day and telemedicine to, you know, second opinion to, you know, sort of the, the where the model goes from here. And I think there's going to be, in our opinion, there's there needs to be a big emphasis on quality, right? The quality, everything that we're talking about during this conversation, you know, I, I think when people are choosing a solution for their company or for their family, it's really about, okay, what kind of doctors am I accessing? What's the quality of the network? What's the quality of the experience uh, what's the impact I'm going to have on on my company? Um, and, you know, what's the UX look like? And it's not as easy as just, you know, there's lots of solutions out there, in particular the US, where, you know, you're just kind of putting a video screen between people and you're like, okay, this is great. We're doing telemedicine. We're doing telehealth, right? And and I think especially in specialty medicine, where the issues are much more complex, where, you know, the nuances of, of how to, you know, sort of make engagements work, you really have to focus on that quality benchmark. And, and so I think that's the next stage of, of telemedicine and telehealth and virtual care generally, in my opinion. With COVID, what effect did you see on the consultations that are happening? Are patients coming to you with different problems? Is there more demand for mental health specialists? So what's the consequence for you so far? Yeah, no, I think it's, I think that's right. I mean, mental health, surely, right? I mean, people are, are stuck at home. People are challenged with, you know, their routines completely upended. You know, you've got single, double, you know, sort of uh, single parents or, or dual working parents, you know, with child, you know, kind of, you know, kids at home. It's it's a really challenging environment for many people in the U.S. and around the world. So you do see a lot of mental health, both therapeutic, non, uh, non-therapeutic, non meaning more like wellness, you know, anxiety, kind of you know, how do I create a routine? How do I create nutrition? You know, all that kind of thing versus kind of therapeutic, more kind of, I guess, more medically, um, more serious kind of mental health uh, concerns. Um, so we, we have seen a, a spike in that. Um, I, I think generally just our, our engagement went up two or three X, right? Right. And so people, Sumus is really kind of, if you think about Sumus as like a, like a, a little more of a, a human version of Google, right. Where you're just kind of inputting a question. Um, we, we see a lot of people coming to us on, on any, any health question, right. Because they're, you know, they're, maybe they might, they're not going to go to their doctor's office or they've been putting something off and they're trying to figure out what to do. You know, it's, it's really across the, across the spectrum. Uh, I mean, I really, you know, I'm thinking of all the recent cases, you know, everything from like nutrition, weight management to sort of recent, you know, uh, cancer diagnosis to, you know, a, a complex peds issue where somebody has a, you know, is, is, you know, 24 weeks pregnant and has a the baby has a hole in the heart and what do they do and they can't travel with COVID. It's just, it's really, it's really challenging. And so I, I would say, you know, what, what's impacted our business what COVID has done, as I talked about in the beginning, is really just accelerated the adoption of, of virtual care, like exponentially, right? And and the good news is that people aren't like, oh, God, I can't wait for this to go back, right? They're like, oh, this like accessing healthcare via virtual care is or virtual mediums is actually kind of okay, right? I think that's been the biggest impact. What about getting advice about serious medical conditions because the secondary issue of the COVID crisis besides bringing people to the hospitals with COVID is that those that have to undergo the regular checkups, you know, the chronic patients are in some cases 
not accessing their medical professionals because, you know, some health institutions stood at a standstill, at least in the first wave, when we were still trying to figure out what's the best way to approach uh, handling of the virus. I think the um, you start you, you see this across different health systems, like, you know, Yale, who's down the street from where uh, or down the just down the coast from where, where we live. You know, you see a lot of advertising about, you know, don't be afraid, come in, right? And so I think, you know, COVID is a very scary thing, but, you know, people probably shouldn't put off care, right? I mean, hospitals are, you know, if you're, if you're masked, if you're, if you're very careful, you know, you, you, there's certainly, you can certainly go into the hospital and get high quality care or get a, get a treatment or a procedure, you know? So, so I think, you know, I, I think it'll be challenging over the next two, three months, and particularly here in the United States, because we're, we're just reaching sort of apex, you know, pandemic. And it's, uh, it's, you know, especially in the middle of the country or, or parts of the United States where hospital systems are really challenged. And, and then, you know, the overflow of COVID goes into, you know, the ability to treat other patients. So that, that's a really serious concern. And I, I don't, I don't pretend to be sort of, you know, the, the guru on how to figure that out. But I, I do think it's a balance between the two. You know, people shouldn't, if they have a health condition or chronic condition, like they, they do need to go see the doctor and, you know, it's, it's safe to do so because, you know, if, if you, if you take proper, uh, proper precautions. During the pandemic, uh, telemedicine spike and basically what you have been doing for quite a few years by now became mainstream or normalized. So what do you see as the next step in the development of the delivery of virtual care? You know, what's what's your roadmap or plan of improvement or upgrade? Well, I mean, I think at Sumas, what what we see as the future of, as future virtual care is really the concept of of quality, but then also the ability to access a doctor from anywhere across any health question, right? And that that's really what we see as our our mission and our ability to uh, to help our clients with. You know, I I do think I, I I do think virtual care is is here to stay, and and I think you know the the kind of what will end up happening inside of health systems is, you know, it's right now, I think there was a number out there is talking about sort of a $3 billion market for kind of virtual care inside of health systems. You know, there there's a path to a $250 billion market. I think it was McKinsey that put it out. Really virtualizing everything from, you know, inpatient, outpatient, chronic conditions, you know, visits, you know, you're not virtualizing everything, but you're, you are kind of across the continuum of care, you, you are inserting points where people can access doctors virtually and, and have a very good experience. So, you know, I, I think it only gets, it only continues. And, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I think our company is well positioned uh, to be a, a, a great player in the market uh, to help a lot of people. And, and so we're, we're all tremendously uh, grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to make a contribution. How would you respond to a remark that while virtual care, especially at the moment, is good, it works, people can get access to medical professionals and medical advice. However, a virtual interaction is not the same as an in-person interaction. And some doctors do say that they are losing something because of this, um, that patients are losing something. And at a certain point, it's different if you send your doctor an email or if you talk to him in person. Well, look, I mean, that that's the truth, right? In in many ways, you know, going to see a, a doctor in person is is very valuable. But but also think about, 
the convenience factor for both sides and and think about the efficiency of doing so. So, you know, if you know a patient well, or you're trying to educate a patient, like, you know, it, it's good to see them in person, but through virtual mediums, you can do like, for example, what we're doing, right? We create a different, you know, a, a different environment for specialists where, you know, a lot of our specialists say, wow, this is the way medicine should be practiced, right? This is like the old way to do it. This is fantastic, right? I get to sit down with somebody for, 30 minutes and and really help them understand and and gosh I feel valued as as a clinician right and so I think there are pros and cons to both and and there's certainly applications for both right I mean if you if you need to get a diagnosis or a specific you know test and you need sort of hands-on you know blood work or a doctor to really diagnose you like you you need to go see them in person right i mean a, a doctor is not going to diagnose you virtually you know they, they obviously have to you know run tests on you and ask you a bunch of questions uh, but a lot of pieces of of that can be done virtually the follow-up visits you know informational visits all, all that kind of thing how many visits uh, do patients on your platform usually have? Is it just a one consultation or is it like a continuous case that's evolving? What's more prevalent? I'd say the majority is one to two uh, because people come to us and they understand their health concern. They they consult with the doctor. They might come under, under that person's care or they might go back into their healthcare system, just much more educated on what they what they need to do. Um, we do have members that, you know, if it's a cancer diagnosis or if it's an ongoing, you know, health condition, they'll check in with us. You know, they'll they'll have the same Sumus MD who they engage with, who understands their history, understands their record. We do have cancer patients who are on sort of a treatment path, and once they get to a to sort of a point in time where they really want to check with another doctor to make sure that it's the right path, like we can, you know, you can schedule that. You know, let's say one every three months or one every two months, depending on what the cycle of the treatment is. It, it really depends. I mean, it's certainly not somebody coming to us, you know, every day talking talking to somebody uh, because because again, we tr- we try to make these interactions very rich, very thorough, and and very valuable for both sides. So you know, people walk away, I think, feeling very good about the information that they that they get and and the paths that they can they can pursue. You know, our average feedback score on a scale of one to ten is is about nine point four at Sumus. So you know, our our customers are are really finding value in it, and and you know that can be single, sometimes two, and and you know occasionally multiple multiple engagements. I just have one more question for you, and that is in the current time, you know, winter is coming and COVID is still here. It's not subsiding in most parts of the world. So what are you optimistic about? You know, what keeps you positive? Winter is coming, right? Game of Thrones. You know, look, I, I think the the silver lining of COVID is that I think in many ways it is, um, there's lots of negatives to it, lots of negatives to it. But the silver lining is it's, you know, sometimes brought, you know, it's brought families together. It's prioritized things that matter. You know, families of two, two working parents or, or dads or moms who are working, you know, a fair amount of hours get to see their kids, get to see their family, you know, more often. I think, I think that's been a, a really positive thing. I think it's accelerated. I mean, this is a meta point, but it's accelerated a lot of changes in the marketplace from the supply chain to, you know, e-commerce. It's just really kind of changed to telemedicine and telehealth. So 
think it's a really interesting shock to the system that that I think has some some positives. Of course, I'm look. I mean, I, I think you know human beings are so capable. I mean, the the Pfizer vaccine came out with you know really really promising data associated with the you know with it higher than most people thought. You know, we as a as a world are very capable of of getting through this, and and it is. I mean, living in the United States, it's just been sort of it's 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 a crazy how this has been been dealt with, and and obviously it's raging in Europe as well. But we'll get through this, you know, and and we'll uh, we'll come out in you know Q three Q four of next year, and the vaccine will be out there, and and people will understand better what a pandemic means, and and how to make take precautions in in the future, how to how to set up a, a system, sort of a national system that can really kind of you know come in and and serve as a um, you know sort of a a structure to, to fight a pandemic if you know when the next one comes and so the history is full of wars and and pandemics and and we always kind of make it out the other side so i'm i'm i guess generally optimistic that despite it being a really challenging time for all of us it's you know we will find our way through it and and get to a better place and and uh, ultimately just overcome you've been listening to faces of digital health If you enjoyed the show, leave a rating or a review by going to www.lovethepodcast.com slash faces of digital health and you will be redirected to the platform appropriate for your device. Stay tuned.